Lord God Almighty reigns.
Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty. church say amen one more time. I struggled with my health this week. Bad enough to merit a trip to the hospital. And on Wednesday, when the pastor asked me to speak, I didn't know how I was going to stand. But I was taught when I was young, you don't say no to Jesus. 
So on faith, I said, yes, pastor. <laughs> now, Lord, help me stand. And here I stand. Holy, holy, the song said. I woke up this morning and the Lord let a cloud block the sun for a little bit so the degrees would come down a couple of notches. And I said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Sister Stevenson came over the house earlier this week to hang out with my wife and the kids. And she said, you know, wouldn't it be nice if we could get some vegan marshmallows and roast them and make some s'mores? The kids would like that. And I was like, yeah, all you got to do is hold them up in the air. Dry roast them bad boys. <laughs> but a reprieve this morning and I said, thank you, Jesus. And then I looked over to my left and my gorgeous wife was drooling on the pillow beside me. <laughs> and I said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Got my kids in the car and all the way to church this morning and the angel stood around the car like this and nobody else hit the car, nothing came out the sky and hit the car and we got to church on time and I said, thank you, Jesus. And then, then I got up in here and I saw people like Sister Stevenson and, and I thought about people like Sister Erica Brown and I remembered how good Dr. Jesus, <laughs> MD, PhD, Alpha and Omega is. And I said, thank you, Jesus. Church, I'm tired of giving the devil credit. Said it's like every time I open up the newspaper, giving the devil credit. Mess around and turn on the radio, giving the devil credit. Turn the TV on, more credit to the devil. But you know what? If we can see the bad, we ought to praise God for the good. If we can recognize the ugly, we ought to take time and appreciate the beautiful. Yes, Satan is busy, but God is more busy. So y'all dignified folk, just excuse me for a second while I praise him for waking me up this morning and let me praise him that my blood sugar was okay. And thank you, Jesus, for coming down and dying on the cross so that sinners like us, <laughs> I said even a sinner like me, could have an opportunity to experience eternity. So like Elder Brown would say, I don't know about you, but I'm going to praise him anyhow. I don't know about you, but I'm going to praise him in spite of, but most importantly, I'm going to praise him because he's worthy. And when you're worthy, you ought to be praised anyhow. Giving the devil all this credit. I'm tired. Let me test out my stuff here. Brother Jez, where are you, my man? I saw Jez. I know he's in the building. I know you can hear me. Hey, man, I got your text message. We will get up. 
we'll see what we can do about that. I'm going to also ask that you send a special prayer up for the White family, Elder White, Dr. White, and the former Anissa White. They will be leaving immediately following church to go to Fresno. They have a relative, a very close relative, that is extremely, extremely sick. And this is a difficult time. May I have a B-flat? And before we sing our song and pray, I've been preparing this message and didn't have nobody to preach it to when the pastor made his call and so I am convinced that that is the message for this hour. I know it is not youth day, but I'm going to talk to the young people for a little bit if that's okay. And many other things will apply to the old folk too, and that's okay. Let us, before we sing and pray, read this scripture together. Let us read. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Your body is not your body, but is the temple of God. I do not wish to be deep or esoteric this morning. I'm not going to make you guess, so I'm going to tell you the key to the sermon right now. Here is the legend to this map that we shall go over over the next few minutes. As we discuss the temple in certain aspects, every time we mention the temple, young people, I want you to have this in the back of your mind. Your body is the temple. And the vessels of the temple are your talents, your sexuality, your beauty, your intellect, and ye are not your own. Amen. Sing with me. Lord, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Be a sanctuary. Pure and holy, pure and holy. Tried and true, tried and true. And with thanksgiving, and with thanksgiving, I'll be a living, I'll be a living. Sanctuary, sanctuary for you, Lord, for you. One more time, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. with thanksgiving and with thanksgiving I'll be a living I'll be a living sanctuary 
let us bow our heads in prayer. Our Lord in heaven, oh, thank you that we don't have to rely on the speaker this morning because he's just a man, Lord, flawed, broken, trying to make it to the kingdom. So we ask that you will come and stand in the place of the speaker. Speak through this humble vessel, Lord, the words of wisdom, the words of truth, and let them be like arrows, Lord, that they may fly directly to the hearts of the youth and move them. We pray these things in thy holy name. Let everybody say amen. This is a bit I know, but let's read together. This is taken from the fifth chapter of Daniel. Let's read together. Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Verse 2. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem that the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God which was at Jerusalem, and the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines drank in them. Belshazzar was a young king. I don't know exactly how young he was, but he was at least young in the head. Belshazzar's father was the son of a high priestess to the god Marduk. Marduk is the foreign and pagan main god of the Babylonians. And Belshazzar's daddy was affiliated with that. But Belshazzar's Mama was the daughter of a man named Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was arguably the greatest king of the Babylonian Empire. The Babylonian Empire was among the first of what are known as world empires or the world that was known then. And Nebuchadnezzar not only had ruled it all, but he had set it all up. Nebuchadnezzar was a great man. Nebuchadnezzar the swift, Nebuchadnezzar the conqueror, Nebuchadnezzar the terrible he was known as because he conquered and built Babylon up to the greatness that it was 
by the time Belshazzar came along. Indeed, whenever Belshazzar looked out his window, all of the buildings that he could see to the horizon had been built by his granddaddy, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, when I first moved to Las Vegas, and I didn't know up from down, now I got the up, but I'm still working the down out part. My wife said to me, you know, Ryan, look at the city. And I looked, and as I always say, I'm just a country boy from North Carolina. I was impressed. Lights were blinking and airplanes and helicopters were flying over each other and stuff. She said, look at the city. She said, all these buildings are relatively new. It is difficult to find good authentic history here in Las Vegas because when something gets old, they just tear it down and then they build up something bigger and better. And it was kind of like that with Nebuchadnezzar. He created or was instrumental in the creation of something known as the Neo-Babylonian Empire, the new. And when you looked out the window, all you could see were new buildings that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Nebuchadnezzar also created what are known as the Hanging Gardens. Now, we don't have time to go into a description of that, but when you think of what he created in the Hanging Gardens, you can understand why, when you study, excuse me, what he created in the Hanging Gardens, you can understand why it is that the Hanging Gardens were considered one of the original seven wonders of the world. This is Nebuchadnezzar we're talking about. Nebuchadnezzar had also well fortified the city, Sister Brown. It turns out that on the outside perimeter of the city, there was a double wall. The wall was very tall. It wasn't quite this tall, but one historian that went out and saw it back in the day thought the wall was as tall as two football fields. That was a bit of an exaggeration, but it was big. Two of these walls went around the city, and inside those walls, there was a river that ran just a little moat that they carved out. And behind the river, there were two more walls. And then you got to the city. And on the west side of the city, there was a natural protection. The river Euphrates, which runs for almost 3,000 miles, can be between 32 and 150 feet deep and over a quarter mile wide, ran along the west side of the city. It was difficult to take the city of Babylon because Nebuchadnezzar had built it well. But more importantly, Nebuchadnezzar is the Nebuchadnezzar who had dreamed the dream of the image. And the Nebuchadnezzar who had sat in the courts and looked prophetically into the future with Daniel. This was the Nebuchadnezzar who, as the pastor was talking about the other week, God brought low to the ground for seven years until he realized that God was God. Nebuchadnezzar was a God-fearing man. Yeah, he was great. Yeah, he built the buildings. Yeah, he made the wall. But he was a God-fearing man. This is Belshazzar's granddaddy. In fact, 
I would like, I'll read this, I would like to look at the last words that Nebuchadnezzar recorded in the Bible. These are the last words that we have from Nebuchadnezzar. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. Nebuchadnezzar went to his grave praising God. So Belshazzar, although his father, Belshazzar's father, was of the heathen, his mama was the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. So Belshazzar was no stranger to the truth. Now, I don't want any historians to get mad at me, so I'm, so I'm just letting you know I'm going to take a few artistic liberties. Belshazzar might have been a pathfinder. Belshazzar probably was in crater roll and matriculated to primary and then on to juniors and maybe even Dr. White, he had graduated from the academy with honors. I'm talking about Belshazzar, who knew the truth and knew it well. And these were interesting times for the Babylonians. The problem with being a world superpower is that everybody trying to take you out that's what happens when you're on top. Everybody down here trying to pull at you. Anybody know about that? And the Babylonians were in a period of warfare. Indeed, you might be asking yourself if, now wait a minute, if, if Belshazzar was the king and Nebuchadnezzar was his granddaddy, where was the king's daddy? What an excellent question. The king's father, Belshazzar's father, was off at war and had left the kingdom in the hands of young, church-grown Belshazzar. And it was like a brand new Lamborghini. Anything he wanted at the snap of a finger, even when he got ready to snap, they were just there. But the thing is, even at the time of our story, the enemy, stay with me, young people, the enemy of Belshazzar, their names were the Medes and Persians, teamed up. The enemy was right outside the walls, trying to get in and take out Belshazzar. So what does Belshazzar do, knowing that the enemy is right there? Let me go back here. Belshazzar does what any young person would do in this circumstance. He has a party. <laughs> Let's get down. Belshazzar made a great feast to a thousand of his lords. In the face of the enemy, Belshazzar called out, and they brought in the half-naked ladies from those music videos, and they came in there. And then they brought in all those Colt 45s. You could hear the, 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 the bottles clinking against each other as they brought them up in there. 
And then they went and they got huge subwoofers like this and wheeled them subwoofers up into the party and cranked it up past 10 to 11 and just and they began to get down in the place. Belshazzar then went and got as bad as chariots. I'm talking about the chariot with the eight-cylinder horses and the gold 22-inch rims on the tire. And when the horses stop like this, the tires just keep going like that right there. So everybody could see the bling that he had. And they began to party in the face of the enemy. And why would someone party in the face of the enemy? And I'm going to tell you, he partied in the face of the enemy to show that he wasn't scared. To let them know that all that church stuff that they taught me, that don't bother me. How many of us, soon as we get out, we got to prove we ain't scared of mama. Huh? That don't bother me. I'm going to party in the face of the enemy. But mostly, he partied in the face of the enemy because his granddaddy had built a wall and then a wall and then a river and then a wall and then a wall. And he thought because of the protection that his granddaddy afforded or maybe because his granddaddy was a God-fearing man, the enemy couldn't get to him. But young people, let me inform you this morning that when it comes to you and Jesus, particularly against the enemy, you can't hang on to mama and daddy's religion. You've got to have your own. And Belshazzar began to party. And fornication was going on in the corners and, and the wine was flowing and the word of God says that he had drunk. And some interpretations take that to mean that he became inebriated. He was smashed. The party was going on. The dance floor was polished. Then they broke out the heavy stuff. Folks start sniffing stuff and snorting stuff. Folks start shooting stuff up. Various fumes were in the air. People were smelling stuff, and people next to people smelling stuff were smelling stuff. Better watch who you associate with. Then it got really crazy. I don't know what they did. They went out and got the dogs and the cats and the goats and brought them in there, defiling as much as possible. And then we are told... that Belshazzar, completely drunk out of his mind, probably high on something, I don't know, leaned over and said, I know, I know, I got it, I got it. Let's go, talking about the temple now, let's go get the vessels from Jehovah's temple. I can imagine everybody looking at each other like, what? I don't know about that, king. <laughs> I am the king. We're going to drink out of those vessels. 
Now, it is difficult so far removed from the time to appreciate the gravity of what he suggested. So I thought long and hard to come up with an analogy that may help us understand. So think as if he said, let's go get the communion cups and drink some liquor out of them cups right after communion. And the word of God says, they brought in the vessels of God's temple and proceeded to drink wine and liquor out of God's vessels. Now, how is it exactly that the vessels of God's temple wound up in Babylon to begin with? We're just going to do a very brief, brief history of the temple so that we can understand how it is that Belshazzar got a hold of God's vessels to begin with. Now, a study of the temple is something that can take a lifetime. And as many of you know, my wife and I have been working on this Daniel Revelation thing, and consequently, we've done a lot of temple study. And all that study we've been doing, we still aren't tight. Temple study can be a lifetime, but let's have a look at some of the things. I would like to go back in history, back from Belshazzar, way, way back past Nebuchadnezzar, past King David, and let's go to Moses in Exodus. Let's read this together. Let's read. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. So the children of Israel had been in bondage. They had been slaves to the Egyptians. And God had set them free. But they were not only slaves physically, they were also slaves spiritually. They were not completely able to do all the things that God commanded of them. And those Egyptians, they worshiped the Nile, they worshiped the sun, they worshiped the moon, they worshiped cows, they worshiped alligators. And the Israelites existing in this environment for hundreds of years, it had taken its toll on them. So God had to set them free. So God, parting the Red Sea, freed the Israelites from both the physical and spiritual bondage that was the Egyptians. And then in Exodus chapter 20, a little bit before this, God introduces to the Israelites his character, his nature when he wrote with his own finger on the two tablets of stone what would be known as the Decalogue or the Ten Words or what we call the Ten Commandments. So after God set them free, he then introduced them to his character and they were willing to take on the character of God and after they were set free and willing to take on the character of God, then God said, now, let me dwell among them. Let them make me a sanctuary. Now, let's stay here for a second. 
if you are ever wondering what the purpose of the temple is. So why do I have this temple? So why do we have a sanctuary? This text lets you know the temple, the sanctuary, is so that God may dwell in you. But I want you to notice the sequence. God can't live in us while we hanging on to all that old mess. So first, he got to set us free. You see what I'm saying? Okay, and after we've been freed from the old stuff, then he can introduce his character. And after we have agreed to take on the character of God, then he can live in us. God ain't going to live in us while we're hanging on to that old stuff. And there's something more. I have the word dwell italicized because as I was studying, I came across an interesting fact. You know the Bible was not always written in English. And I have to say that because I don't like to just break out with Greek and Hebrew words and everybody's like, what's that about? The Bible was not always written in English. It was originally written in Hebrew, a little Aramaic, and Greek. And sometimes it is very helpful to go back and look at the original translation to gain a little bit of understanding of what God is trying to tell us. So the original word for dwell is shakan, shakan. And shakan is the Hebrew word that means to be a permanent fixture in the community. So God wants to come in and he ain't trying to stay overnight. God is wanting to come into our sanctuary and live there permanently. But there's more. It is very interesting to note that this word shakan is very similar to, and some even think it is a derivative of, another Hebrew word that shows up in the Bible, shekinah. Now, Shekinah is the word that the Bible uses to describe the glory of God, particularly the glory that descended on the mercy seat in the temple. So what that means is God doesn't only want to live in us young people, but he wants us to be a conduit for the Shekinah glory so that when people see you and me, they don't just see regular old you and me. They're looking at the glory of God. God is bad, isn't he? And so God gave these specific instructions to Moses. I want you to build me a sanctuary, and I want it to be this long, and I want it to be this long, and this high, and put this in it, and put that in it, and we won't get into it. But Moses followed those instructions. He followed them to the letter. And then God said, let the people bring gifts and the people brought gold and silver and all other valuable things into the temple. And these were the treasures of the temple that were to be used for God's work. The world is trying to convince us young people to take the treasures of our temple, our talents, 
our abilities. If you be a singer, if you be a lyricist, that's the word for a rap artist. If you are beautiful, if you have intellect, the world wants you to use that for worldly stuff. But God has given us these treasures for his work. And so Moses built this temple. Now the Israelites were not in the promised land yet. They were still moving around. So when Moses built the temple, he designed the temple so that you could pick it up and move it when the people moved. Because the people were a nomadic people. They were on the move. And that is what the tabernacle looked like. It was a movable fixture where God was living with his people. But when a man named King David came along, way down the line, he had the dream of taking the tabernacle and making it permanent. The children of Israel had already reached the promised land and they were prospering and David wanted to build a temple to enclose the tabernacle. But David, as you may know, was a man of war, so God did not allow David to do this thing. I mean, you should read some of the stuff that David had to do. He was cutting people in half and all kind of stuff. God said, you have blood on your hands, David, so I will not let you be the one to build my temple. So David's son Solomon was the one to whom this task was given, and Solomon built the permanent temple of God. There's our temple history. And the temple, I understand, was up on a mount, and you could see the white of the temple for miles away. It was a beautiful structure. It was the jewel of the Jewish community. It was how they could say, God lives with us. But as time went on, young people, the Israelites turned against God. They got tired of being different. They got tired of trying to explain to people why they can't do stuff on Friday night. And so they start doing little things, you know, little things that would allow them to look a little bit more like the world. You know what I'm saying. Wearing a few more things that they didn't used to wear. Staying out a little later than they used to stay. And before they knew it, the Israelites were this deep in idolatry, they were doing everything the world was doing, worshiping statues and wood and water and all kind of stuff. And God said, fine, if I'm not going to live in you, then you don't need this temple right now. So God allowed the Babylonians, and now we're getting back to how it is Belshazzar got these temple items. God allowed the Babylonians to come in and destroy the temple. It was a terrible day in Jewish history. And it was Nebuchadnezzar who was at the helm when the Babylonians went in and destroyed God's temple. And when they destroyed the temple, they, believe it or not, reverently took God's vessels out of his temple and brought them back to Babylon. Now, 
For those of you who know the story of Nebuchadnezzar and how hard God was on Nebuchadnezzar, you ever wonder? I mean, there's kings all over the place. Why was God so insistent on making sure that Nebuchadnezzar realized that Nebuchadnezzar was just the king that God set up? Why was God so insistent on making sure Nebuchadnezzar recognized that God was God? And one of the answers is because God wasn't going to let it be said in history that some old Babylonian came in and messed up his house. He needed Nebuchadnezzar to realize, yeah, you destroyed the temple, but that ain't your power, that's my power. That's because I allowed you. These are my people. You have done nothing on your own. So Nebuchadnezzar brought the vessels back to Babylon where they stayed. Reverently. No one dared mess with the vessels from Jehovah's temple. And then Belshazzar. Belshazzar. In a state of drunkenness. Did the unthinkable. He commanded that they go and get God's vessels from God's temple and bring them in. And they proceeded to fill God's vessels with the wine of fornication. And they began to fill God's vessels with the wine of drug abuse. They started filling God's vessels with the wine of crazy music, music that has brought us such gems as AK on my nightstand right next to the Bible. But I swear with these 50 shots, I'll shoot it out with the 5-0. They began to fill the vessels with that foolishness. And by defiling the vessels, by extension, they defile the temple. And young people, when you defile your temple, when you mess yourself up, when you're out there dealing with that foolishness, it offends God. Because that's God's house. You can't just do anything in God's house. When I was a boy, my parents would send my brothers and I to stay <clears throat> with my grandmother. Now, we called our grandmother Nana. Nana just recently passed about a year and a half ago at the praise the Lord age of 87. But since Nana was 50 years old, Nana was blind. Now, I don't mean just legally blind. I mean she was completely in the dark blind, okay? But Nana was one of those independent women. That didn't stop her. So every summer, my parents, you know, they'd need a break because we were, we were three boys and we were so bad. We were all over the place. They would send us to stay with Nana. 
Now, we stayed with Nana, and Nana had simple meals. It kind of went like this. For breakfast, Raymond noodles. For lunch, Raymond noodles. <laughs> For dinner, Raymond noodles. Because see, if you mix it up like that, it might taste a little different. You understand what I'm saying? Now, Nana had many rules in her house, and one of them was don't play in the front room. Now, some of you young folk don't know what a front room is. <laughs> and I'm going to be honest, I don't even really know how to describe it. But the front room, it's, was it a parlor? It's, it's kind of like an area of the house when you walk in the door. But whatever it is, the front room is not for little people. The front room is for company. Not company, company. You didn't play in the front room. It was simple as that. In fact, when you walk by the front room, you just kind of, you know. Because Nana was fearsome. When you walked in the front room, you could see, you know, the plastic. I've always wondered if I ran and jumped on that couch, I'd slide right off that thing and hit the wall. Got to get some suction cups on there so you can sit down. Do not go in the front room. So one day, Nana was laying down. She was blind and she wore these shades and we could never tell if she was asleep which added to the Nana mystique. <laughs> Is she awake? I don't know. We better just sit on down just in case. But my little brother Rodney and I were playing a game. I don't even remember what it was. Maybe it was cars and trucks or tag, but whatever it was, we needed more real estate. So we extended into the kitchen. Ah, you're it and running around and doing all this kind of stuff. And it became very clear very soon that this game was not going to be right unless we could get a little bit more room. But there was only one more room. <laughs> it was the mysterious front room with its gleaming, shiny couches and those little trinkets that are sitting around. And I will admit, it was me. I said, she can't see. <laughs> I'm a scientist. Let's think this out. She can't see what we're doing. If we play quietly, she'll never know. And Nana was just like laying there on the bed. So Rodney and I crept into the front room, and you talking about a good time? Man, we played and played and flipped and played and laughed quietly. <laughs> laughed and man let me tell you what we were in mid flip Rodney was in mid air I remember <laughs> and I looked up and I have brought I want you to see this Nana, standing in the doorway like this. <laughs> and Rodney and I saw her at the, it's like, does she see us? 
And Natta said, come on. <laughs> and don't you know, Rodney and I, we broke to the left and to the right, and that blind woman caught us both. <laughs> I won't tell you what happened, but let me just say, I couldn't sit down for a little while. In fact, I couldn't even lean on nothing for a minute. Because we thought that Nana was not observing us. It was because we felt that she was unseeing. We forgot that's her house. You can't just do what you want to do in somebody's house. Belshazzar thought that it was an unseeing God that would turn a blind eye and allow him to defile his temple, but he was wrong. And young people, when you defile the temple, it offends God. And it says here in chapter 5 that in the same hour, fingers, doesn't even say a whole hand, just fingers of a man's hand wrote on the wall. God had had enough and had to speak up on his own behalf. Because young people, when you defile the temple, it offends God. And when you offend God, somebody ought to say something. When you offend God, somebody ought to speak up. Maybe he'll send the preacher. You walking out of church, preacher, grab you by your arm, young man, young lady. I've been seeing what you're doing, and it's defiling the temple. Let's just come over here and pray. Or maybe he'll send one of the Bible workers, our lovely Bible workers, catch you in the community. You sneaking from a place you ain't supposed to be. Just grab you by your elbow, young person. I'm seeing what you're doing. You're defiling the temple, and I got to say something to you. Or maybe, young people, he'll send your grandmama to grab you on your way out the door. She get a look at what you got on. She got to stop you, honey. I love you, but what you're wearing is not representative of the temple, and I got to say something. But then, young folk, we want to get mad. How come that preacher with his breath smelling like vegan cheese got to be all up in my face? How come grandmama with her feet looking like this right here? Grandmama's feet look like she could reach out and grab a cup of Kool-Aid off the counter. Why she got to be all up in my grill? Don't get mad at the messenger, young people. It's just that when you offend God, anybody that loves God and anybody that loves you got to say something. But every now and then, we go so far. Every so often, it is an egregious offense. Every now and then, we go so far out there, God don't even send nobody. He got to let you know himself. We need to listen for the sound of God trying to tell us something about what we're doing to the temple. Maybe, young lady, that negative pregnancy test and that strange itching and burning that's got you going to the clinic. 
You thought it was biology. You thought it was an issue of public health, but no, no, it was theology. God trying to tell you something. Honey, I love you. Honey, I died for you. But baby, what you're doing to the temple, it offends me. Those goods you're kicking out are not your goods. They're my goods. That's not your love you're giving away. It's my love. And I had to say something. Or maybe, young man, you on your way to the club, got all your homies in the car, and you suddenly got in a car accident. God standing in the middle of the road, smacked your car off the road. You thought it was simple physics. You thought it was the result of a semi-elastic collision. But no, no, it was the Holy Ghost. God said, listen to me, young man. My house does not belong in the club. My house does not belong down there with that foolishness. I don't like the way you're treating them young ladies. They are my children too. You're supposed to be standing up in the community and look back there. There's your little brother watching everything you do. I know that was your brand new car, but I had to tell you something myself. Or maybe young people, you wake up in the hospital, open your eyes, and the bright lights are shining in your face, and doctors are leaning over you like this right here. And you say, what happened? They tell you it was a drug overdose. I don't know if you did it on purpose or did it by accident, but you thought it was just a chemical reaction. But no, no, no. Unbeknownst to you, your mama was somewhere praying and the Holy Spirit got down in your stash of drugs. And unbeknownst to you, you shot yourself up with a 100% Holy Ghost, went straight to your head and knocked you out. <laughs> then brought you back just to let you know that what you're doing to the temple, it offends me, God says. I can't even talk to you. Your mind is always in a fog. I had to let you know myself. And Belshazzar, drinking the wine of the world from the vessels of God's temple, offended God. God had to let him know. The hand wrote on the wall words that no one could read. Many, many tekel oparsin. You have been weighed and found wanting. Now, if you want to hear the rest of the story, you can read it in chapter 5, because essentially my sermon ends here. But it will tell you that nobody could read the words, <clears throat> and that the queen had to come out from where she was. The queen was not at the party. Now, the queen also was not Belshazzar's wife. We long thought the queen was Belshazzar's grandmother, but new studies have shown the queen was Belshazzar's mama. Belshazzar's mama who had learned the truth from Nebuchadnezzar, she wasn't in that party. But when she heard about the writing on the wall, the queen came out past all those half-naked people in the craziness and went to Belshazzar and said, do not fret, Belshazzar. 
because I know somebody. And they went and got the preacher. Isn't it nice, parents, how God will bring us back to the preacher? In fact, I would like to say, I don't know if I got any praying grandparents in here. I don't know if I got some mamas and daddies who got holes in their knee pants, in the knees of their pants from all the hours that they've spent on their knees praying for their children. But if we do, let me encourage you. Never stop praying for your child. Never stop praying for your baby. Because I believe that while Belshazzar was in there partying, his mama was down like this right here. Lord, my baby. And I believe that for the sake of a granddaddy who knew who God was and for the sake of a mama who remembered who was the king of everything, Belshazzar, in the midst of his debauchery, Belshazzar, even while he had that 40 turned up to his mouth, Belshazzar, Though he defiled the temple for the sake of some praying people, he was honored and privileged to see the hand of God in his life one more time. Never stop praying for your babies. Even when you feel that they've gone too far, even when you feel that it's too late, God can put his hand in their life to show them the error of their ways. Pray anyhow, because church, our watches, the clocks that we look at, they have numbers on them, 12, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and it reminds us that time is finite, but God's watch only says on time, on time, on time, on time, on time. It is impossible to be too late when all you could ever be is on time. Every day, somebody somewhere who thought it was too late for their baby fell down on their knees anyhow and prayed and discovered that time wasn't up, time was on, and God put his hand in their life and saved that baby. Never stop praying for your children. But young people, Belshazzar had defiled the temple and as a result, he lost everything. Maybe he thought God would try him as a juvenile Maybe he thought it wasn't that big a deal. But our temples are to be God's house. And I didn't mean to beat up on you young people, not at all, but to encourage you that God could just let us go. He could not care at all, but he loves us enough to want to live in us. In a minute, I'm going to give an appeal. Nothing complicated. Just a prayer of rededication. But I want to tell a story first. 
But my wife and I had been married just a couple of months. I got a call to go to Miami and speak during one of their Vesper hours. And I was excited. We got in the car and we drove all the way from Nashville, Tennessee, where I was in school, to Florida. Now, I wasn't the main preacher, not by any means. They had real preachers for that. But all I had to do was talk to the young people about restoration, about restoring God to his rightful place here and kicking the devil out. 45 minutes. As the sun went down, the director of the program nodded to me and I got up and I had a handheld mic and my hand was shaking like this right here. I was nervous. I began to tell the story of what God had done for me. I began to tell the story of how God had restored me. There's nothing like personal experience in there. There are no testimonies like that. And we talked for a while. Yes, we did. And communed for a while. Yeah, we did. And the main preacher, Dr. Eric Walsh, some of you all may know him. He was sitting over there in the corner and, and he gave me the nod. You know, I didn't know what that meant. He said, appeal. Appeals are very difficult, church. It is certainly the part of the sermon over which you got no control. When you appeal and you, you are flying on pure Holy Ghost. And it's frightening. And my young self looked at those young people and I said, if anybody wants to reject what they've been doing and accept Jesus, come on down and stand with me. And the young people began to get up and they began to come down and we were crying and it was a very high moment. And there were two young ladies that came down and what it was that the church wanted to do was after the appeal, they wanted the young people to write down the thing they needed to stop doing. Write down the barrier, the slavery that God needed to free them from. And then at the end, they were going to throw it all in a pit and burn it. There were two young ladies I don't know the extent of what they had been involved in. But they had been defiling God's temple. And tears were flooding their eyes. 
I'll never forget. My wife will never forget. And they were there, and they wrote down whatever it was they needed to get rid of, and they put it in that hole and burned it. Hallelujah. But as I said, I did not know the extent. That night, we all went to our rooms. And I was there with my spanking brand new wife. And we fell asleep. And about three or four hours later, there was a banging on the door. Elder Johnson. Boom, 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 boom. Elder Johnson. Come on out of here. My wife and I got up and we threw on some clothes and we ran out there and all the preachers and all the elders were standing around like this right here. It was the early hours of the morning and it was in the sanctuary of this place and I'll never forget, I looked down to the front of the sanctuary and there were four young ladies. Two of them we recognized from the night before and two of them were their roommates and they were sitting on the front pew like this. What happened? What's going on? What happened? And I remember the speechlessness of the preachers because what we were about to hear, we were not equipped for. There's no training for what we were about to hear. Turns out that after those young ladies had given their lives to Jesus and had kicked the devil out of their temple, they went back to their room and their roommates went back to their room. This is a first person story, church. I was there. And when the lights went out, an entity came into the room, said, I am not going anywhere. Terrified those young ladies and terrified the roommates who saw something they will never forget. The devil tried to intimidate them and we're standing there. What do you do? We're just elders. Oh, we prayed and we prayed some more, but we're just elders. We just preachers. The devil continued to harass these young ladies. I don't know the extent of what they were involved in, but I do know this. Regardless of what the devil would do to them, how much he would terrify them, how much he would call them on the phone randomly, the horrible things that they endured because Satan was not going to let them go, they stood firm said, I'm not going anywhere. I have given my life to Christ and that's how it's going to be. And Christ came in and filled their temples and the devil was out cold with nowhere to go. But one Sabbath afternoon, my in-laws were visiting Anissa and I in Nashville, Tennessee. It was right before Sabbath dinner. And the phone rang. I picked up the phone and it was one of the sisters from Miami. And I couldn't even understand what she was saying. She was crying and 
bawling and blubbering on the phone. All I can make out is they're gone. They are gone. On their way to church, a dump truck crossed the median and hit those girls head on. They didn't know how long they had. But the devil had tried to scare them, but he couldn't shake them. The devil had tried to intimidate them, but he could not make them move. And finally, and I don't know why God allowed it, Satan threw a dump truck at him. But it was too late because come resurrection morning, they going to get up anyhow. And that is what we want for you young people. My appeal for you this morning is right now while you can. My same appeal for a prayer of rededication, for a prayer of invitation that God will come in and fill our lives. Who is strong enough to come down and stand with me? Who will get out of their seat and come down and stand with me and get some of this prayer of rededication? I know there is at least one. This is not for baptism. This is just you making a stand against the devil. Amen, my brother. Will anybody else come? Somebody, young or old, who needs to rededicate themselves right now, who will come down and stand with me? Come on, my sister. Come on down. Come on, my brother. All oh, the angels in heaven rejoice. Anyone. I'm not going to drag this out forever. My prayer this morning was, Lord, let there be one. Come on, brother. Come on, my brother. Right now, who's going to kick out the devil? and invite the Lord in. Anyone else? Put them to shame, the elder said. Who will shame the devil? Just a few moments longer. Any young person, any old person, and anybody in between who will come down and have this prayer of rededication. our first elder. Elder Brown. Is there anybody else before we pray? Is there anybody else? God is calling. Is there anybody else?
There is no time like this time. Is there anybody else? Young people? if you sense it but the spirit of the Lord is in this place is there anybody else yes the spirit of the Lord is in this place is there anybody else we're gonna pray for deliverance and when God is in the building is there anybody else I know there's somebody else. Is there anybody else? Somebody is saying, I went up and I went back and I did the same thing. But you know, I prefer to go up and give God a chance. I'd give God a chance every day, any day. Is there anybody else? I'm going to pray. Church, I want you to pray with me. I want you to pray that the Spirit of the Lord will move among us today, all of us, to give us the deliverance that we need. Father, we are so thankful, Lord, that in this day, at this time that we're here in your house, we are thankful, Lord, for the word that was preached today. A word, Lord, that reminds us that our body belongs to you. That our body is your temple. And particularly, Lord, that even when the word says that, that there is a sin that we commit, a sexual sin that is against our own body. Lord, Young people and adults have made a stand today. And there are some that are still sitting that needs to be standing. I ask, Lord, that you will free them and let them come. But, Lord, we are now asking that you will forgive us corporately. Forgive us individually of our sins, O oh God. You said that if we confess that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And this is a time, Lord, when we need your Holy Spirit, Lord, a time when we need you to cover us with your blood. Lord, we were reminded that you love us so much that, that you wouldn't leave us in our mess. You love us so much, Lord, that you would show up now to trouble us, oh God. And you've disturbed us, oh Father. You've disturbed us. And now, Lord, we're asking that you will allow your Holy Spirit to rededicate us. And Lord, that our hearts will respond to your love and to what you've done for us, oh God. 
And then, Lord, we're asking that you will release us, so Father. Release us, Lord, from the bondage of sin. Release us, Lord, from the bondage of sin, O oh God, and give us the faith to believe, O oh Father, that the thing that you have started in us, Lord, this change, that you're able, Lord, that you're able to bring it into a good end. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, to know that you will change us, that you will transform us, that you will keep us, oh God. And Lord, I ask that when we leave this place, that we won't be the same. We'll be stronger, oh God. We will have the ability to resist that which we haven't resisted before. And Lord, I want to thank you for the preacher. Thank you for Elder Johnson, oh God. Thank you for the word that he shared. Oh, Father, I ask that you'll continue to bless him in his, in his ministry. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done for us today. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. Thank you for those who didn't have the courage to stand today, but a seed was planted. Oh, God, I ask that you will continue to water that seed and that it will come to life. And a life that was on the wrong track, Lord, today will be placed on the right track. That like those young ladies who were taken out, will still have a right to the tree of life. Because they've been covered. We've been covered by your blood. Oh, hallelujah. Praise your name, Father. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, Lord, deliverance today. Deliverance today in Jesus' name. Let the church say amen, amen, and amen. came down the sister wants to get your name we can include you in our prayer list so we can pray for you okay the sister's coming to get your name what a powerful message the word of God was definitely spoken today Now for the benediction, can we all please stand? I'll be reading from the epistle of Jude. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever, amen. Can we please bow our heads? Father in heaven, your word has been spoken. And as Christ often said, he who hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the church. Lord, give us a heart to receive your truth. Give us a heart and mind to love and honor your truth. May we cherish our, your truth with our very lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. 